Well, good morning, everyone, and Merry Christmas to you. If you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to be, verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one provided for you in the seats beneath you. Page 681 is where you would need to turn to the first page of our New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. If you're new to West Cohasset, my name is Joe Franzone, and I have the privilege of serving here, and we want you to know that you're very welcome um, this morning. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. Verse 18, chapter 1, Matthew's Gospel. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I wonder if you would bow with me as we take a moment of silence to think about things that occurred this past weekend in Newton, Newtown, Connecticut, and specifically at Sandy Hook Elementary School. Have a moment of silence, and then we're going to seek the help that we need from God through prayer. And and in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks this song of peace on earth, good will to men. Then rang the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail on the last day. And the glorious return of our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Loving Father, in the events of this past week, once again we are reminded of life's brevity, of death's certainty, and human depravity. And we are reminded of men and women's inability to completely fix this world. So that we find ourselves in this desperate state that tells us that our only hope in life and in death is not ourselves and it's not us going our own way but rather our only hope in life and death is this that we are not our own but belong or can belong both body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior Jesus Christ 
And so as the children have read and sung, we are reminded of your loving purposes from the first days of our redemption, excuse me, the first days of our disobedience to the glorious day of our redemption brought to us by this holy child. So Father, please then, because we stand in great need, because I stand in such great need, take up this whole moment, accomplish your purposes, glorify your son, and awaken dead hearts. For Jesus' sake, and in Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Thank you. The fantasy that is part and parcel of the fictional marketed Christmas stories in the West, some of which I thoroughly enjoy, the Christmas magic that makes up so much of our Christmas movies is in some ways a play on the first Christmas story. In the marketed Christmas stories, there's typically some type of Christmas miracle that is needed to either save the farm, to save the family, to get the kids or dad home by Christmas Eve and morning. Therefore, the storyline of the Christmas tales, these, these Christmas tales is essentially this. It's going to take a miracle to save us. It's going to take some supernatural act to save us. Things are so bad and we are so helpless. It's going to take something way out of the ordinary that, that we can't do, that stands all outside of me to save us. And then typically out comes the angels or fairies or ghosts or Kermit the Frog or Will Ferrell, sorry about this, Will Ferrell dressed up like an elf and they sing a song and they make a wish or they have a bag of magic dust, they sprinkle it all over things and presto, everybody's saved. And of course, this is quite wonderful if if you like happy endings and you like Kermit the Frog and you kind of like Will Ferrell. However, the first true Christmas story comes to us in such a way that is actually so real and and crucial as humanity's destiny is hanging in the balance and how this story unfolds. And the message that the first true Christmas gives to us is this. It's going to take a miracle to save us. It's going to take a specific supernatural act of God to save us. And again, none of this is fantasy. It's actual reality. Point of fact It's a grave reality. It's going to take a miracle to save us, and only one person can do it, and he's just arrived as a little baby. The first true Christmas story tells us that because all men and all women and all young people have put themselves in such a desperate place in their opposition to God, that we're going to need a miracle to save us. We need a supernatural act of God that is all outside of us to save us. I want you to hear that. I want you to catch this. A supernatural act of God that is all outside of us to save us. And because of this, because of this great need of a supernatural act of God that is all outside of us to save us, even though that I'm a 21st century person who's not afraid of the dark on most nights, I am not at all bothered by the fact that an angel had to come to talk to Mary to tell her what to expect because she was about to be expecting unexpectedly. And I'm not at all bothered or concerned that an angel had to give the heads up to the shepherds who were keeping watch over their fields by night. And then this massive heaven concert erupts. The heavens, as it were, opens up and the heavenly host had this keen preoccupation to praise God for that which only God could do praising God for his salvation plan that begins with a baby and of all places, a feeding box. 
And I'm not at all bothered. Verse 20, chapter 1, if your Bible is open there to Matthew's gospel, that an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream with a word from God. Because in these things, God has to speak. And God spoke to Joseph through the angel about what to do because he was not an expecting an expectant Mary who he was pledged to be married to. I mean, what a shock that must have been to Joseph. I mean, adults, are you with me? He hadn't even kissed her yet. Why am I not concerned about these supernatural, miraculous acts of God that tend to the Christmas story? Why don't I question these unique and unrepeatable circumstances that are just dripping with God's power? Why don't I think this is a fairy tale? That it's a fairy tale that's kind of set aside for little kids. Because I can tell you with the authority of God's word and this morning I can tell you with all the love in my heart that our desperately needed salvation, my desperately needed salvation, our needed rescue from from sin and its horrible penalty which the Bible describes as the wrath of God, it stands all outside of us. In other words, if we're really, if we're really, really going to be truly, truly saved from, from the eternal consequences that God says that we need to be saved from, because we can't save ourselves in these things, then God's going to have to do something big, something really big. And, and so I'm prepared to tell you this morning, in the first true Christmas story, God has done something big. He has done something really big, and we have it all only, only in Jesus. Now, if you allow me to, I'm going to suggest to you two basic questions. In fact, you'll find those questions in the back of your worship folder if you receive one. And we're going to consider what the Bible tells us of this miracle of Christ's birth. And so, as you would expect, the two questions that we have this morning are going to hover around the child. Question one, who is this child? Question two, why has he come? Pretty straightforward questions, right? Who is this child and why has he, why has he come? And in the Gospel of Matthew, we have the Son of God identified by two names. Two names, when we really understand them, gives us the answer to both those questions. So our first question, who is child? Who is this child? That's answered in verse 23. The child will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And so what we have here in this child is God with us. Because God's Son born by God's power and God's chosen lady Mary will be on God's mission and the mission is a rescue. And God doesn't rescue from afar. He plunges himself in in the very heart of the matter more than any of us will ever truly know. And, And the unique thing about this rescue is that the ones needing to be rescued, people like you and I, we're not waving our arms around saying, save me, save me. Because most people think they're okay. You see, the popular idea that men and women are seeking for God is something the Bible would say is completely untrue. Now, in this, are people spiritual? Yes, they are. Are people seeking something? Yes, they are. Are they seeking peace? Yes. Security? Yes. Hope? Yes. Are they seeking for self? You bet. Are they, are they seeking a reason to be on this planet? Sure. But are they seeking God? The Bible, God's word, would say no. Men and women in the Bible are constantly going their own way, making their own choices. They want to be their own king, as the dear young girl read. They want to be their king that opposes God's rule, thus saying to God, either by a whisper or a shout, because they're both the same. We don't need you. 
And over the corridors of time, nothing has changed. Every time we, me, I, break God's command, it is as if we are saying to God, I don't need you. And the Bible calls that out and out rebellion every, every time. No one is righteous. That's what the Old Testament says, and that's what the New Testament says. No one is righteous, and no one seeks after God. But thank God that God seeks after us. And in this, if you had to compress the whole story of the Bible in just a few words, we in essence could say this. The story of the Bible is the awful story of men and women putting themselves in the place that belongs to God alone. The place of authority, the place of majesty, the place of deciding what is right and wrong for us with absolutely no reference to God. The story of the Bible is a terrible story of men and women putting themselves in the place that belongs to God alone. But then, and thank God for that but, but then it is the wonderful story of God coming and putting himself in the place that belongs to men and women alone. Namely, God in Christ putting himself in the place of punishment for our rebellion, the place of punishment for the neglect of his commands, and even the neglect of his promises given. Now, if you want that an even shorter phrase, the story of the Bible is the coming son of God who is born to pay a debt that he does not owe so that you and I could receive eternal life. That if we're really, really thinking we know that we don't deserve. And you see, this is a miracle, Emmanuel, God with us. And this is what God would tell us this morning. And many Christian hymn writers would affirm this. This is God's love. Let God be the one to tell us what love is. This is God's love. Love is when God became man. There's a song by a popular group, Love Came Down at Christmas. Love all lovely, love divine. Love was born at Christmas. Stars and angels get the sign. But not everyone believes this. And you might be here this morning and you don't believe this. And by the way, thank you sincerely for coming. But nevertheless, it is the saddest thing about Christmas to me. The saddest thing about Christmas is this unwillingness of much of humanity to face this reality. The reality that says we are as awful as the Bible tells us and we need a miracle from God to save us. And in the Christmas story, the miracle has come. The miracle is Emmanuel. The miracle is God with us because, again, not everybody believes this. But we all must see. All of us must see. Until we come to the place in our lives where we understand and respond appropriately that it is a mercy that God would send his son. And it is a mercy that God would warn, of, warn us of his judgment. And it is a mercy that God for a time is withholding his judgment. And it is a mercy that God will provide the way of escape for that judgment. It is a mercy that this child, that in this child, Jesus, Emmanuel, God is with us. But again, until we get this, until we humble ourselves to this truth, until this truth rearranges the fundamental direction of our life, until we actually get it, this is what Christmas will mean to us. It'll just be another nice time of year. We try and be nice. If we feel a bit more squishy inside, we eat well, we give things, we get another pair of gloves that we don't need. And all those things are fantastic and all those things are wonderful. But when it's over, when the season's over, then it's back to life 
and back to reality. When reality, the Bible says, is this. We will not go on forever. And the only way a person can know God is for God to do something. It is for God to put himself in this realm where we might meet him. And in this child, he has. Question one, who is this child? The child is Emmanuel, God with us. Question two, then why did this child come? Why has he arrived? Well, the answer to that question is given in verse 21. And you will give him, says the angel of Joseph, the name Jesus, meaning Yahweh or God is salvation. And the reason why God gave the name is because the child's destiny is expressed in that name. Now, it's been a long, long time since the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. He, he was born into a world of crisis. And today we live in a world that is marked by crisis. And one of the things that should be an embarrassment to 21st century men and women is that our world is in the horrible mess that it's in. I mean, have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it on the basis of all our advances in every sphere after all this time, why is our world in such a horrible mess? Why is it that we can talk to one another across oceans, but, but husbands and wives can't even talk across the kitchen table to one another? Why are teens at war with their parents? Friends, broken relationships, conflict, hate, slander, luxury, with no responsibility, jealousy. Why is our world marked by so much death? Death, broken lives. Why is this so with all the progress we apparently enjoy with all the apparent advances? And the world has its answers, right? If we could all just come together, if we could just come together, it would just fix things. And it's more than that, it's education. That's what they tell us, right? So if we got smarter, if we all got smarter, then things would be better. Okay, then they say it's our location. Get the bad people out of the bad places and everything will be better. Or maybe it's kind of like our presentation. Oh, you know, just look at you. I bet you would feel better and do better if you just fix yourself up a bit, you know, get a bit smaller there and get bigger there and things will be better. I mean, have you ever thought about this? It appears to me that there's like two extremes in our world. Either extreme number one, people say, let's roll up our sleeves and get to work. We can do this. Or extreme number two, let's just put on our sandals, go on vacation, and let's just forget all about this. Now, many years ago, the London Times newspaper paper put out a question to its readers at Christmas. And the question they gave was, what is wrong with the world today? That's the question. And they put it out to the readers, and the readers wrote in. There's a man named G.K. Chesterton. He wrote his answer to the Times, and then he sent it to them. And this is what his answer said. Dear sir, what is wrong with the world today? Question mark. I am. Yours sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. And I, and I wonder, I wonder all the time if you and I think that our big problem today, that the biggest problem that this world will ever have is that we're in such a pickle due to our sin. Let, let me say that better. Our biggest prom, problem is the punishment we are due and the brokenness that we know because of our sin. Now stay with me. If you could finish verse 21 any way you like, if you could finish it, verse 21, because Jesus will save you from, if you could finish it the way you would like, would you change it from our sins? 
Better yet, let's say it like this. Let's say it's Friday night. You're out and about. Someone comes up with you with a microphone and says, if, what is the world's greatest need? Would you answer verse 21? The world stands in desperate need of a Savior who will save us from our sins. I, I would venture to say that, that most of us wouldn't. You don't need to know this, but I'm going to tell you. Most of the time we see the answers in economics, I think, right? That's most of the time. There was this horrible moment in my household where I walked into the family room and they were watching, my family, they were watching the lottery change my life. And I pulled one of those Jesuses at the temple and throwing over tables and what's going on here? And, uh, no, I'm just kidding. The people say, my problem isn't sin, it's, it's, it's economics. The people say, it's, it's, it's not sin, it's, it's her. If she just straighten up, and the people say, it's him. If, if he would straighten up. The people say, well, it's because I don't have this. And if I had this, then that would be the decisive thing. Or, you know, if I had a better home. And I th- would say that most people say the last thing that they would say about the problem that they're in and what they need to be saved from is from sin. But of course, if we thought the way that most people think, ultimately we, we, we would be wrong. Because, loved ones, we don't know all things. God does. And we don't love this world like God does. But the one who does know all things and the one who loves this world at depths that you and I will never plunge, he looked into this world and he made the supreme diagnosis and then he gave the perfect treatment. Diagnosis, sin. Treatment, son. Send my only son, Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And so the big question that I have you for this morning, all of you this morning, is this. Are you his people? Are you God's people? Not do you like it here. I mean, I like it here too. Not that I'm getting, I'm not getting any younger and I better get serious about this thing. I didn't ask you that. Not that you have kids and it's time to get serious about things because you want them to grow up better. We understand that completely. But I want to ask you again. Are you his people? Young ladies, young men, men and women, are you saved? Well, you say, you said at the beginning of this whole thing, which seems like eons ago, but it really isn't. You said at the very beginning that you, we needed a miracle for this to happen. And you're sitting there right now and you're waiting for the miracle. Okay, here's the miracle. You ready? Hang on. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for your needed salvation because of your horrible sins. That, that's the miracle. Isn't that great? It's so simple. It's, it's like a Christmas gift that we all like to get. Just take the gift. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for your needed salvation because of your horrible sins. But not like believe any way you like because this is what it, I don't mean. Believe as some kind of like intellectual assent. I believe, of course I believe in Jesus. Then you go on with things as you will have them. Loved ones, the Bible's pretty clear. No one can love Jesus and at the same time be the sole master of their life. So not believing as some kind of intellectual assent and not believing as in a kind of totally emotional experience because those things come and go but you still don't know Jesus' power and you still don't know Jesus' presence in your life. And not believe because of the mess of the world is in. Because the Bible declares, regrettably, that you and I are part of that mess. 
So my question is just like this. Have you taken the plunge into Jesus? Have you just entrusted your whole life to Jesus? Have you, have you taken the plunge into the immensity of his love? You know his grace. You feel his power. And you know yourself forgiven. Now, I want you to think with me just for a moment. Let's say that you say you're a swimmer. You say you like swimming. But dear ones, everybody knows that you're only a swimmer if you jump in the water and swim. You are not a swimmer if you only think about swimming. You are not a swimmer if you like water. You are not a swimmer if you believe in the buoyancy of the water, in the buoyancy of you, if you could just get in the water. And loved ones, you're not a swimmer if you send someone else to swim in the water for you. You're only a swimmer when you jump into the water and swim. So again, have you taken the plunge? Are you just all wet, if you would? You're all splashing and you're telling your friends and your neighbors, look at me, look at me, I'm a swimmer. Or do you just say you're a swimmer? Do you believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for sinners like you and me who deserve nothing from his hands but judgment? Do you believe that in Jesus you have this name that means God saves? God saves. So that every time you hear the name Jesus, and at the YMCA some people can't go a sentence without saying the name, but anyway, every time you hear the name Jesus, you're able to say to yourself, he died for me. He died for me. And so you know his presence and you know his power in your life. And don't lie to yourself in this. Do you believe Jesus is the amazing miracle of Christmas that stands all outside of you but is offered to you right now? Have you plunged yourself into the immensity of God's love, his grace and forgiveness and you find yourself extraordinary love because of this? And if you haven't done any of that, don't you think this morning, December 16, 2012, would be a great morning to do this? But let's say right now, that you don't believe any of this. Then my only question for you is this, what are you going to do? I mean, what are you going to do? Tell me how you plan on saving yourself. Tell me that you know exactly what's going to happen after you leave this world. Tell me who else is able to save you. Loved ones, God will not be mocked. He will punish sin. But yet in Jesus, you have this name, which means God saves, God saves. And that is the amazing gift that is offered to you this morning. And ladies and gentlemen, that makes you and I very, very important, doesn't it? That God loves us so much despite us that he sent his one and only son, verse 20, to save his people from their sins. And this is no small thing. In fact, if you thought about it, it is absolutely incredible. So I would beseech you. I would beg you, by the mercy of God, be reconciled to him because God made Jesus who knew no sin to be our savior so that we might be saved from our sin. And You shall give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Question one, who is this child? The child is Emmanuel, God with us. Question two, why has he come? The child has come to save us from our sins. May God have mercy on all of us this morning. Let's bow together as we pray. Father, we would ask that you would break our hearts until we see 
our need of Christ. Now, loved ones, if, if you know yourself outside of Jesus Christ this morning and you find yourself in such a desperate place, then, then make a prayer like this your own prayer. Just say something like this. Lord Jesus Christ, I admit that I am more sinful and weaker than I ever would believe. But through you, I am more loved and accepted than I ever would dare hope. I thank you, Jesus, for paying my debt, bearing my punishment, and offering me forgiveness. I now turn from my sin and receive you as my Savior. And the Bible says that whoever comes to Christ, he will never turn away. Hear our prayer, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.